Well, hello again, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Bite Size Baseball Cast, hosted by yours truly, Jake Dungan, veteran of six years of minor league and major league baseball coverage and analysis with Indians Baseball Insider. And although I'm retired, I'd like to still share my thoughts here on the cyber airwaves uh, on a weekly basis, talk about the tribe and the minor league system. And, you know, the weather may be a little bit on the uh, rainy side right now, but we are just inching ever closer to tribe baseball and regular season baseball uh, in Cleveland and the major league regular season within weeks of our grasp. And uh, it's very exciting because I'm so excited to see guys like Framil Reyes uh, step up and become the new, hopefully the new cornerstones of this Indians team and to see potentially the young guys like James Karinchak and uh, of course Aaron Savale, Zach Plezak, and potentially others coming up and making a name for themselves at the big league level. Uh, that we've discussed at nauseum here, but I might as well just get into what everybody's talking about right now and what's having every what has everybody in kind of some uh, uh, low spirits regarding the Indians, and that is the announcement from both the Indians and Francisco Lindor that they have suspended extension talks uh, for the spring and will proceed into the regular season to focus on uh, winning, playing winning baseball, uh, to use Francisco's little words there. And, you know, this has a lot of people frustrated. The ongoing saga that has been the Indians' negotiation, failed negotiations with Francisco Lindor and, you know, ownership not stepping up and ponying up the dollars to that would be necessary to retain him, and it's just been it's just been a nightmare, uh, PR wise for the Indians from the get go, and I'm not here to play the blame game necessarily because I feel like that this debate just gets us nowhere, and I think that. You know, from a team financial standpoint, there is a lot more that goes into the discussion of whether or not uh, Dolan ownership actually has the money to uh, pay Lindor that the money, the contract that he wants or not. There's a lot more nuance and discussion. It's not as cut and dried as a lot of people are making it seem like. And I'm, I'm not one to comment on it as well because I'm just not simply not an expert on uh, the business of baseball and how the team financials operate and whether or not, you know, revenue versus attendance plays a factor. And if so, what percentage of a factor is a play and, you know, how much is how much is a factor that the Dolans want to make a substantial profit? Where is their profit margin? These are all things that we just don't know. I don't know it. And so I'm not going to comment on it. And you know what? Neither is anybody else because. Until they open their books and make these financials public, which they never will, uh, nobody's going to know for sure what's going on behind the scenes. We can make educated guesses as somebody in, more in the know, like uh, Kevin Kleps, for example, of uh, Cranes Cleveland does with his very informative pieces. But at the end of the day, we don't know what is going on behind the scenes. But we do have an idea of what these financial constraints that the ownership is uh, placing on the front office in terms of how they operate and how they make moves and improve the team. Otherwise, uh, 
these uh, moves they made in the offseason wouldn't make any sense, nor would this stalled negotiation with Francisco Lindor. So we have a rough idea of where these constraints are. Now, whether or not they are actually cash strapped and they need to make these cutbacks in order to maintain a healthy profit margin, or if they're just trying to, uh, they're not making the revenue that they thought they were, so they're not going to spend the money that they did in previous years. That's a whole nother discussion. And I'm, again, I'm not going to get into that, but focusing on the uh, stalled negotiations with Lindor, uh, they did uh, go into detail, Lindor did, and talking to reporters, uh, talking about how he was not going to take the same kind of contract that uh, Christian Yelich did, um, which hopefully that puts that debate to rest because I never thought for a second that was a perfect one-to-one comparison. The contract that Yelich took with the, to stay with the Brewers, you know, everybody was ready to go all up in arms and saying, well, why can't the Indians sign him Lindor to a similar deal? One, because Lindor is younger. And yes, I know it's only two years, but those are two vital years in his prime of his career that uh, make a big difference versus Yelich. And two, Lindor is him with him being younger. He's going to be the face of the game for, a lot longer than a guy like Yelich. I mean, Yelich, yeah, he has MVPs under his belt and has great career numbers, but I don't know if you would ever say he was the face of the game in a way that you put guys like Mike Trout and Mookie Betts and uh, Alex Bregman before the whole Astros scandal, and Francisco Lindor is on that tier as well. You know, Yelich is up there too. I just don't know if I put him in among the uh, the faces of the game category just because uh, – I think that Lindor offers so much more on and off the field. Uh, no, no, nothing against Christian Yelich. He's a great player and I'm sure a great ambassador for the game. It's just that the fact of the matter is, is in terms of uh, where the game stands, Lindor is among one of the top faces of the game. And that's the simple fact of the matter. And he would definitely command a $300 million plus contract on the open market. So that's number one. Number two, you know, we already knew from last spring that the Indians were not going to pay Lindor a $300 million contract. Paul Dorn's words and the infamous Enjoy Him interview uh, with Zach Meisel and The Athletic uh, said that those very words that they are not going to give out the $300 million contract to any player. They're just not in a position to do that. So the hope was that Lindor would take a hometown discount and uh, – Take his number down a little bit, uh, say to around two fifty million, uh, roughly. I would say Lindor did go into detail about what kind of contract he was hoping to get, and he believes that. Well, not specifically about his contract. He believes that the Indians have the capability to field a playoff uh, and World Series competitive team for around a hundred and twenty million dollar payroll and still be able to pay him the money he wants. That's the math he did. Some people are disputing that. Some are saying that, you know, in order for that to work out, uh, the Indians would need at least a $150 million payroll, rather, excuse me. And that seems unlikely as the Indians have not come close to that. Uh, The highest, I think, is in the $140 million range. And also, I think that 
this team, while you know they're not far removed from World Series appearance, they're in a period of transition. They're trying to trend younger, bring some of these young prospects up. Obviously, you got a guy like Franmil Reyes and Logan Allen and Scott Moss in the Bauer deal, and you know they traded Kluber away for hopefully a guy who could become a back end reliever and Emmanuel Clays, and. This is not a team, in my opinion, and I got into this on Twitter with some people last night. I don't think that this is a team that is poised to win a World Series. Now, they're poised to be competitive, and my philosophy is if you're competitive and get to the postseason, October's a crapshoot. You can uh, make some good ways in October if you hit the right stride at the right time. I mean, look at no further than the 2016 Indians. They were not expected to win a single game in the postseason. The Red Sox were supposed to sweep them across the board. Everybody predicted that when it ended up being the other way around. The Indians were not even supposed to win the World Series or even get to the World Series. They went to Game 7 and almost took it. So I think that as long as you're competitive and you have a somewhat balanced roster with pitching, hitting, relief pitching, and some defense, I think you have if you were able to get hot at the right time, you can do some serious damage in the playoffs. So while that remains a factor heading into 2020 and potentially even 2021, this is not a team that you would look at and say, all right, this team is ready to win a world series. Um, so that's why you need to spend these next couple of years and focus on developing this young talent, like uh, Oscar Mercado, Fran Mil Reyes, although Reyes is more established in the majors. Uh, eventually, we'll see guys like Logan Allen, uh, Tristan McKenzie, uh, Scott Moss in a starting rotation, and potentially guys like Daniel Johnson and Nolan Jones on the position player side. So in these transitional years, that brings me to my next point. What does it mean to keep Francisco Lindor as part of your core, if you're not going to resign him long-term, because as we just established, the Indians are not poised to win a world series right now. So what's the point of keeping Lindor around? Yeah. He ups your chances to win a world series as he is the leader and cornerstone of this team. And you much rather have him than not, but you know, if extension talks are on or off the table, potentially for good, I don't see why keeping Lindor is a greater benefit to the Indians for the future when they can get a pretty good haul for him on the trade market. And yes, I know it, you know, that everybody's going to look back to, you know, Oh, they could have kept guys like Jim Tomey and CC Sabathia and Cliff Lee back in the day when they were in their prime years. But would you rather have, if, if the Indians, if you knew that the Indians, it was inevitable for them to lose Jim Tomey to free agency, he was going to walk and they get nothing. Would you much rather have traded him and gotten something back and probably avoided some of those down years in the mid 2000s rather than the other, just letting him play out the string and then letting him walk for nothing? I, I think it would, I, I think it would be worth considering at the very least. Thus, I think they're in a similar position with Francisco Lindor, are they at a place where they have a good chance of winning with Lindor in the fold over these next two years of his uh, remaining time with the Indians? 
or do you trade him and potentially bolster your future and remain competitive throughout um, the next decade, the first part of the next decade at least, without Lindor? Yeah, it's going to sting, and it's going to be a bit, very bitter pill to swallow, but if it were me, I would consider moving Lindor as soon as this upcoming trade deadline. That it all depends on where the Indians are in the playoff standings. You know, if they're far back in the division and in a tight race for the wild card, I still would consider trading Lindor and getting the haul that he could command as teams would be willing to give up a lot for one and a half years of Lindor versus even just wait until the off season where you'd only be giving up one year of Lindor, which he would still command a, a pretty hefty price, but you'd be, in my opinion, uh, better serve to trade him at this year's trade deadline when teams are who are in a playoff hunt are going to be more desperate and are going to be more willing to part with uh, some prospects in order to uh, get them over that hump into the playoff race. And I think that it's a more benefit to the Indians to trade Lindor at this point. Now that uh, extension talks are off the table and don't look like they're going to be picked up again anytime soon. And I'll tell you something else. This is something that I've come to a realization about in terms of, you know, where people see the Indians' future going. There's a lot of people who like where the Indians' future is going, and that's because people there are people who like prospects and are ready to roll the dice on a lot of these youngsters coming up. And then there's others who are very hesitant to uh, put all their eggs in the prospect basket here. And you know what? Um, that speaks to a larger point of, you know, projecting team success based on prospects. And I know that, you know, a lot of the numbers don't favor the projection numbers don't favor the Indians right now. I think that's because a lot of it is depending on the success of a lot of these young players, which, yes, is a risk to take. And it could very easily not work out for the Indians. You know, Mercado could have a sophomore slump. Some of the young pitchers coming up could uh, flame out or struggle and not get their footing right away. Um, that This is stuff that could all happen and not work out in the Indians' favor, but at the same time, it could all very much work out in the Indians' favor, and they could far surpass the projections uh, that a lot of these sites such as Fangraphs or Pakoda have made that uh, could propel them into not only the division race, but also uh, the playoff and World Series race. But again, that's a lot that has to go right, I understand, but it all depends on how much faith you put in prospects. And in, my, in all honesty, people who don't like prospects as much in terms of uh, team projections and uh, success probability and versus people who want to get all in on the prospects and, and build for the future, I think that neither side is uh, 100% right nor 100% wrong. There's a lot that goes into building a team with these young players and you know, at some point you have to give them a chance to prove themselves and eventually the cream will rise to the top. It's as simple as that. We just don't know who's going to, who that's going to be or when that's going to happen. It's as simple as that. So it's perfectly logical to want to uh, give the prospects the playing time to deserve to uh, figure out who's going to stick and who isn't. But it's also logical to have some, uh, healthy skepticism about these prospects and who's going to pan out and who is it and trying to 
rely on them too heavily to uh, factor into the team's success. Um, but I think the Indians are in a position where they really don't have any choice. They have a lot of prospects coming up now. Guys like I said, uh, from last year's team, Plezak, Savale, Mercado, and maybe even Bobby Bradley if you want to include him in the mix. And then you have guys like Nolan Jones, Tristan McKenzie, and Daniel Johnson who are probably going to factor in. James Karinchak as well uh, who are going to factor in this year and potentially uh, solidify themselves as uh, key members of the tribe moving forward. So since the Indians are in that position, I think that you know while they remain competitive, I think that they are better served to explore trade options for Lindor and further uh, brighten their future with uh, prospect value in return versus uh, letting him play out the string and let and letting him walk for nothing other than maybe some draft pick compensation. So that's that's how how I stand there. Um, I think while it's hard to think about that day, I think that you know at this point in the position that the Indians are in, they need to cons- highly consider trading Lindor, and they need to do it sooner rather than later to get max value for him. All right. And I'm not going to get into the whole ownership debate right now. Cause again, this is something that I'm not educated about. I'm going to f- be upfront about it and I'm not going to make any speculation or guesses on as to what's going on with ownership, the ownership financial situation and how they're running a team to say one way or another that they're right or wrong in their uh, decision to cut payroll. So um, I'm not going to go there. Um, the last thing I would like to touch on, though, is the uh, farm system rankings, kind of on a related note. Uh, MLB Pipeline released their very first uh, farm system rankings for uh, 2020, and uh, they ranked all 30 teams in terms of the strength of their uh, prospect core. And the Indians right now, heading into 2020, ranked, 12th on that list so uh right now i'd say just a bit above average and i believe that they're trending upward and i believe that they are only going to get better um 12th right now i'd say is just about right because of the bulk of their premier prospect crop is down in the a ball ranks if not lower into rookie ball uh when you look at a lot of these international prospects like george valera brian rocchio and uh, some of these other international players that we mentioned last week's episode, um, they have yet to fully establish themselves on the uh, affiliated ball uh, ranks. And when you uh, lay it out like that, uh, putting them 12th, I'd say, is just about right because the prospects are there. They just haven't fully developed yet and fully established their value and potential yet. But I believe that uh, after this season, that number is only going to trend upward. And I think that as soon as next year, you could see the Indians as top 10 in the uh major leagues in terms of farm system rankings as these guys continue to develop. So, um. Looking ahead to the future, I think the Indians have what it takes to remain competitive, and I'd much rather be competitive for multiple years, and rather than have you know a short contention window, than a long rebuild period, aka you know Detroit Tigers, Kansas City Royals, or whoever. I'd much rather be like the Tampa Bay Rays, who are in the mix every year despite their payroll constraints and attendance issues. You know, they f- still manage to field a quality team each year and remain in the mix. 
uh, for a playoff spot. And I think the Indians can do one better. I think they've got uh, a more balanced roster to be able to accomplish that and potentially secure multiple playoff spots uh, over multiple seasons. Uh, you know, it, of course, it hurts the race. They play in the AL East. Uh, against teams like the Red Sox and Yankees. But I'm sure if the Rays played in a division like the AL Central, they would probably be perennial division champs. So I think if the Indians continue to play it smart, continue to focus on player development, uh, making the most out of their trades, which they have been exceptional at, you know, I know people are going to talk about the Kluber trade, but, you know, they're much more adept at pulling off deals like the Bauer trade than they are with the Kluber trade, which I still say has yet to pan out. We'll see what Clay's can do. I still have some uh, faith in him becoming a key member of this bullpen. So um, I'm not ready to rule on that trade just yet. Um, although it doesn't look as good on the surface than uh, right now. So I will uh, admit to that. And then, um, you know, keep the ball rolling. You know, keep getting the prospects up there. And, you know, if you can't resign some players to team friendly deals, then, you know, unfortunately, you have to either consider trading them or letting them walk and then getting the next one in there, next man up. That should be the mentality of this Indians team. You know, nobody's going to replace Francisco Lindor, that he's a generational type of player. But that doesn't mean the Indians can't still be competitive with the talent they have coming up through the uh, farm system ranks. Um, and I fully believe that the Indians are in a good position to remain competitive uh, for years to come with this uh, prospect crop. Uh, it's Again, it's a risk, but it's also um, how small market teams should operate in terms of developing their farm talent, uh, bringing them up, developing a nice core of talent in the majors, and then trying to supplement that talent and build around it. So... They could probably do with a little more support from ownership. I will, I will e- easily uh, agree to that. But at the same time, I think that they had the people in pra- place in the front office and in the player development system to uh, make that happen in terms of uh, keeping that next man up mentality rolling and keeping that ball rolling for multiple years in order to f- continually field a competitive team. So, um, you know, people like the idea of going all in and trying to win a championship for the first time in over 70 years. But I personally would much rather be the guy who uh, continually feels a competitive team uh, to get into October and then roll the dice. Who knows? You know, the next 2016 team could be coming up just around the corner. Uh, you could be the next Nationals team from last year, a team who wasn't expected to do much in the postseason and ended up winning it all. So... You know, you never know in October, and I feel like that that philosophy would be where my beliefs align, and I believe that's where the Indians align themselves too. Um, they could do better. Um, I'm not saying they're perfect at it, but I think that they are uh, exceptional, and they can definitely uh, do much worse in terms of being in the market that they are with the financial constraints that they have in terms of uh, remaining competitive in the AL playoff race. So that's pretty much going to do it for my thoughts here on this week's podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Be sure to follow me on Twitter. I'm at jdungan93. I will be uh, relaying most of my uh, baseball thoughts uh, on the social media sphere versus 
uh, my weekly uh, podcast spots here on uh, Tuesdays. So also be sure to subscribe. Uh, again, I'd like to get some uh, sponsorships going on this podcast. Thanks to the good people at Anchor who are allowing me to do so. But that means I have to get this listenership up and spread the word and get people more people listening. So as I said before, I'm trying to raise a family now and every little bit helps. And, uh, but even if not, this is just for fun and I enjoy getting my thoughts out here each week and, uh, talking to you good people. So until next time, no, uh, for the bite Size baseball cast, I'm Jake Dungan Uh, Please enjoy the rest of your week, and I say to you, have a good one.